rockzone.com. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Holy cow! With everything running wild out there, brother, there's no way they're going to beat us. The energy, the focus, the mind, the body, and soul. Just a bit outside. Welcome to On the Sidelines with Scott Fleischer. Welcome. Welcome to the show on the sidelines with Scott Fleischer. I'm Scott Fleischer with my co-host Glenn Eunice. Glenn Eunice in Washington, D.C. I'm in Chicago. What's up, Glenn? Hello, hello, everybody, and Scott. Yeah, it's a sunny day here in Chicago. It's beautiful, actually. Summertime in Chicago, Wrigley Field, a buzz. You know, the team was at home last week winning, too, which was fantastic until the weekend. And that's always a great thing here in Chicago. And how is Washington? Sunny these days, I'm assuming? Washington's beautiful, yeah. It's no longer Seattle East. Yeah. Uh, we got some nice weather. It was about seven. It was 72 D.C. degrees on Tuesday. Um, it's supposed to be about 80 on Wednesday, and then it'll shower a Memorial Day weekend. But it's pretty nice this week. It's been pretty nice. Summertime means the summer fashions come out. And I'll tell you, the most... The, Sundress. <laughs> you know what's sad is the most memorable summer fashion that I saw today on the first day above 80 degrees was a T-shirt worn by a probably about a 17-year-old, and it said, E is for endo. I was trying to decide if that was lame or sort of funny. You decide. I don't know. Was it bought at kosherham.com, our I, buddy's website? I don't know if it was bought at kosherham.com. But is that what it is? Is that the name of the site? That it, yeah, that's the name of the site. That's our, <laughs> that's our favorite sponsor here, uh, kosherham.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. Huge show today. Bill Russell is going to be on the show. Also, plenty to talk about today a lot to talk about first we got to get to your emails and you can email the show and be a part of it at scott on the sidelines at gmail.com give us a call 1-888-463-6748 and we got plenty of emails last week by the way first one came from uh an old friend of mine named dan and he was talking about how he was doing some work listening to the show listening to the show Uh and he was trying to get work done but he got so distracted that he, he couldn't even do his work because we got so heated up about Jason Whitlock and Manny Ramirez and steroids and all that stuff last week. So yeah, that's cool. But I'll tell you, he did mention how we were talking about the Bill Ripken story, and I never got to the Bill Ripken story because you had how the cuss word got on the bat. Okay. Yeah, and I, and you had mentioned Bill Ripken because you were talking about a quote that Bill had said regarding steroids, and I think right, was, I was I story, was making the parallel between an average player and a star player. His brother being the star, he being the average player. The story about the, how the, the the message got on the bat is fantastic. Do you know that <laughs> story? Message. You know, please that? tell it. Please tell well, it. They they had a rack. They they basically they had a rack. It's not. I mean, they basically had a rack of bats. He knew what he was. I think he knew what he was doing. And we're gonna have to ask Bill for certain. I can't remember it exactly, but they have a rack of bats, and basically when the guys get the bats, they mark the top of the bats so you know which is yours when you take it out of the bat rack. You know. And mm-hmm. so Bill was Bill was a prankster, and Bill had written that on his bat. And now he – I don't know if he's ever admitted if he knew that it was baseball card day or not. But I got to believe that he knew it was baseball card day, and he put that on the bottom of his bat, and there you have it. But he says they they, they blew it up, you know, that Fleer had blown up the right. card and all that. So. See, I heard that it was – and, and, and I could be just making this up in my head, but I had thought – maybe I didn't hear, but I had thought – that somebody at Fleer had put that on the bat post-production and printed them out that way. Post- I didn't know that actually was on the bat itself. 
post-production. Could you imagine the post-production that would go on today if that had happened with Perez Hilton writing oh in white in white lettering all over the, the place? <laughs> I don't know if there was post-production in 1990 with that 1990 Fleer card. By the way, is that in Glenn's closet, Glenn's prize closet? Because we are. Gonna you know what? It very well might be. There are certainly baseball cards galore somewhere. I think I have the whole entire 86, 87, 88, 89 Dunris uh, full sets with Lenny Dykstra and, and Jose Canseco's rookie card and. Dude, I have some I have some baseball cards somewhere for I'm, sure. I'm sure you do. I've got a whole bunch of them. I've got a great baseball card story, and I think we're going to talk about it next week. There's this okay. movie. It's on YouTube, and it's it's a baseball card documentary, sort of. It's about a card. People still go to card stores. People still go to card stores, which is. Do you crazy. remember House of Cards in Wheaton? No doubt about it. You got to you always, you always go early to the Maryland DC references, and I've got one. I got a great Maryland DC reference coming up here in a okay. little bit. But, uh, so, so there's this movie on YouTube right now, baseball card store documentary type deal. And I, I didn't know that it was still a booming business. They talk about people buying pa- whole box, still adults going in there and buying boxes and all that. It kind of made me want to go back to the card store. Is that so wrong? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, you can also move in with your parents whenever you get a chance as well. I, well, they'd rather I take the baseball cards out. By the way, our buddy Jake wrote again <laughs> and he listened and heard the Jason Whitlock rant and says, that Jason Whitlock is fat. That's a great comment, Jake. <laughs> yeah, and, it's very uh, highbrow, Jake. Appreciate Thank it. You. Jake also sent an email to the, the, the show email account about a barbecue at his house on Saturday. So I'm assuming that, <laughs> I'm assuming that everyone listening is invited. So <laughs> Jake. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Jake Jake, obviously one of our more scholarly listeners. No doubt about it. We did send out last th- so last time we said that we were gonna give out two uh or one book. We said we had one book to give away. Yeah, you know, you said one, Scotty, and then you said you'll go ahead and give both out, so it's up to you. My copy did is free to give out. Did I say it on the air that I would give both out? You know what? I don't know. All right. I'm going to give – I am going to give both copies away. Uh, I'm going to give away two copies of this book, courtesy of Bill Russell and Harper Collins' his new book, Red and Me. We're going to talk to Bill in just a little while, about 10, 15 minutes from now. We're going to talk to Bill and get the story on the new book and get the story on the Celtics and Red Auerbach, and you're going to want to Bill Russell. Yeah, Bill Bill Russell. That's right, Hall of Famer Bill Russell. It's gonna be that. Am I allowed to say Bill freaking Russell? Bill no, no, Russell? You, no, you know what? No, see, I I take offense to that. I'm gonna tell you why you can't do that. Because, I just did it. Yeah, he's okay. he's a Boston sports hero, and you can't put that name in the middle of of a Boston sports hero because I that actually name think you can. It's because it's Boston. No, but it, that that belongs to guys with the bad connotation in Boston, Bucky. And Billy, and you know, and Bill Buckner. Now you don't even have it on there anymore because Bill Buckner basically has been—he's been like, you know, they, they've taken exercise the demons of Bill you. Buckner, right? So I think that is great. I think if there's one thing that Bill Buckner should be so thankful to Theo Epstein, right? Because basically Theo is responsible for the demons being exercised from Bill Buckner. Or do you think it would have happened eventually? Um, I think it would have happened eventually. I think. Uh, he wasn't really the reason they lost the game. If you really look at the details, he was one of the reasons, but they surely weren't winning at the time. Um, and it wasn't a shoe in that they were going to win besides the ball going through his legs. Uh, so Bill Buckner got a lot of heat. I don't know that he deserved it all, but I don't want to really get into the Red Sox, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm Bob Lee. Welcome to Outside the Lines. Today we're going to, oh, exactly. we're going to look at the 1986 World Series. I had a chance to sit down with lifelong baseball <laughs> fan, Glenn Eunice. Glenn, you're oh, yeah, like, that's, you know what, actually, that'll go on my tombstone whenever that happens. Uh, lifelong baseball fan. That'll be it. 
it won't say son, grandson, father, anything like that. It'll just say lifelong baseball fan, Glenn. You, that's that's mostly how people know me is lifelong there, baseball fan. There are some people who do have that on their tombstone probably. Books to give away. Nathan and Big Jim are our big winners. They sent in some great emails, by the way. One, Nathan sent in this this uh, email about the 756 with an asterisk shirt, which I really like because you know how I, I think that For Barry, sure. Barry kind of sucks and Hank Aaron's the man, so check that out. <laughs> And uh, But not as much as Bud Selig, where I would just allow my love affair with Hank Aaron to kind of take over the game and uh, allow all these <laughs> players to go down. We're not going to get into that, though. Nathan sent an awesome email, by the way. and sent, well, I love it when spit it out. All right, when people send something that I don't even know is fantastic. Not that I'm not Big Jim. Big Jim gives feedback. And it's great. And a lot of Big people Jim's get... like our editor. You know what I yeah, mean? Big it, Jim's like right. uh, like like our our copyright expert. So check this out. We we uh, quality control. We talked about Jimmy Buffett, Landshark Stadium last week. And Buffett mm-hmm. uh, Buffett played his new version of Fins, and we're not going to play it for you again. But Thank we did God. ask for people to email in some, some reworked pop songs that were about sports teams. So basically what it does is it, it eliminates your old school, like Bear Down Chicago Bears and Hail to the Redskins and that kind of stuff. You know, the mm-hmm. fight so- we're not talking fight songs, okay? Right. We're talking We're talking reworked pop songs, basically. And not fight, said, fight for old Notre Dame. No, we're not doing that. But it's not college. We're talking pro. Okay. And Nate sent in the Washington Capitals red, white, and blue. Have you heard this before? It was from the 1989-90 season. Taking you back, we're talking about Mike Ridley, Dale Hunter, Mike Jeff Ridley. Portnall. This is unbelievable. Michael Pavanka? Yes. Listen to this. This is Brett Michaels. John Cougar Mellencamp? I don't know who the, it's terrible. How great is that there's a whistle in the was there, of the song. I was about to yeah. say, what was that? Yeah. Was that off sides? <laughs> high, high stick? I don't know what happened there. That's, wow. That is pretty strong, right? I mean, that's that's pretty strong. Probably the worst song I've ever heard. No, it's not It's not as bad as Orioles Magic. No way. Orioles Magic was catchy, had a flow. That thing was a limp fish, man. You liked Orioles Magic? I mean, no. No, no, no. I didn't say I liked Orioles Magic. I said it was better than that limp fish song that no, they produced back in Oriole, 90. Orioles Magic. Can you cue these things up to the hook so I don't have to hear the dreck at the beginning? What do I look like? Freaking DJ AM over here? Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, let me, hang on, let me see DJ AM and Travis Barker doing a show down the hall. Let me get them. <laughs> and the Birdman. Yeah. Oh, that's wrong, dude. You. That's your line. Oh, the Birdman. Oh, my, I thought you said, I thought you said Birdman. I don't know who that is. Well, no, Burn because. Oh, because the car uh, crash? No, it's Airplane. No. That was... you, you're, you're a bad person for even no. thinking that. Well, you know. Bad person. Scott, hey, listen, everybody. Yeah. Scott Fleischer, bad person. You can email him on the sidelines or whatever the email address Scott is. Scott on the sidelines at gmail.com. So all right, that song sucked. All right. You suck music right now. 89.90, Washington Capitals. I, I had to bring this up. I started okay. Googling around 89.90, Washington Capitals, and, of course, the one thing that pops into my head is Georgetown, right? Because what happens is if you look at the 89.90, Washington Capitals, a lot of people on the message boards say, that they never won a Stanley Cup because of the incident in Georgetown. And Explain. You, you remember the incident, right? 
I, I do not remember the incident. Oh, my gosh. On trigger, Friday. Trigger my memory. This is from the New York Times, July 1st, 1990. On Friday, a Superior Court grand jury in Washington declined to file criminal charges against three members of the Capitals hockey team who had been accused of rape by a 17-year-old girl. Yesterday, the Capitals released a statement asking forgiveness for the players, Neil Sheehy, Dino Cicerelli, and Jeff Courtnall. And you, you don't remember this? Wow. The girl accused the three of attacking her on May 11th in a limousine parked in an alley outside Champions Bar in Georgetown as the Capitals no celebrated to conclude their season. And it's interesting. I mean, could you imagine if that happened today? So I, I had to, when we talked about the 89-90 Washington Capitals season, I had to bring up what was the downfall of the season, which was that spring, the big celebration at Champions Bar. I could imagine today what that would be like. That oh, yeah. Hang on, hang, hang on one second. Let me glen that story real quick, no, uh, which means break it down. I can't believe Let you don't remember. That story. I can't believe you don't remember. I don't remember it at all. And, and I story... was going to games all the time back then with my father as a kid. I mean, I don't – but, you know, what were we, 10 back then? Yeah, 11? Well, I, I remember it, you though. I, I was a member of the Capitals Junior Fan Club, so I remember it. You're a huge nerd. <laughs> Broke my heart. Um, um, let me break that down real quick. Yeah. Whether or not they did it, okay, this is sort of like the Duke thing, I think, that you're going to say is that there was something shady going on for no, sure, whether no or not doubt. they did not. Let me ask you this, this this very important question in my mind. What in the hell is a 17-year-old girl doing in a limo with three grown men in their late 20s or mid-30s valid, in that range? Valid question. Valid question. Valid question. Defense. I mean, can we start with some reality here and maybe don't put your – listen, I think – Bad situations or avoiding them are all about avoiding the situation, putting, minimizing your ability to screw up in whatever facet that is, whether it's your work, your social life, cheating on your, whatever it is. What are you doing with a 17 year old girl in your limo? The other question is, what is she doing in a limo with these guys? I, I don't, did that, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. Not quite sure about that. Not, not quite sure what was happening there, but it wasn't good. 89-90 Washington Capitals flashback. That goes in the top 50 most awkward moments in sports history, brought to you by the Best Damn Sports Show. I'm sure it'll be a countdown on there at some point. You know they always do those weird countdowns. Like, brought to you by kosherham.com. No, but you only do those. The, that's, what the, that's all the Best Damn Sports Show does, right? It's like the top 10 meltdowns. And, you that's know, all anyone does. It's like rain delay filler. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. They just make up stuff like when uh, – I'm going to do this for you. When the large four-letter sports network comes oh, out with that. who's the number one, who's the best, who's now. Stop making stuff up, please. Stop making up categories. Stop making up things. Whatever. But that's, you know, that's where our sports world is, man. That's everyone's. The, uh, you don't you don't want to get me started. No, I don't. I don't. But I kind of do because that's what we do here on this show. Big Jim chimed in with uh, <laughs> San Diego Chargers, San Diego Superchargers. The Superchargers. That's yeah. a good call. And the, and the Meet the Mets, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, those aren't. Are those pop? Do those fit in the pop? The Superchargers does. Does it meet the Mets fit in the, the pop vein, or is that too old school for us? It probably doesn't you know? fall into the category, but it's certainly worth a mention. Okay. And since we are on the topic of music, of course, we lost Wayman Tisdale. Dude. Wayman Tisdale this week passed away, and he was he made the transition from sports into music and did uh, an excellent job. Renaissance man, oh, man. Renaissance man. If people don't know, Wayman Tisdale actually lost his le his legs due to cancer. He was just walking uh, downstairs one day at his home several years back, and he fell down the stairs because he had cancer inside of his bone that had decayed it. Um, he 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 lived on from that. He suffered. He he survived the cancer at that point. Had some prosthetic legs when he stopped playing basketball in the NBA from among the teams, the Phoenix Suns, and he's an Oklahoma grad. Uh, he became he was huge musicianist. He's a jazz musician. 
superstitious, a renaissance man, an unbelievable guy. He did a ton of charity work, apparently had just the greatest heart and a very sharp dude, was artistically gifted, was was athletically gifted. And for him to, to leave early, man, it's, you know, Billy Joel, the good die young. We always think of it as a, a sad thing when somebody like that passes away early, but you never know, man, whatever you believe in, maybe he's off to a better place, but you know, God bless women Tisdale. It's, it was a tough loss when he, when he went this just recently of cancer suck, man, suck bad. Glenn, are you available to do eulogies for hire? That was absolutely <laughs> remarkable. I that hate was, you. No, that was, that was seriously, you, you never met the guy. Sir, but, but what Glenn did say, <laughs> he did have an amazing music career after his basketball career. This was, this was some of his tunage. Not my type of stuff, the smooth jazz. You know, not really my cup of tea. It'll get you, it'll get you in bed with a girl, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wayman. He was awesome, though, dude. Okay. That was the smooth jazz that Wayman Tisdale gave us before he passed away, and our condolences to his family as the sports world lost a great individual in Wayman Tisdale this week. I mean, he was really pivotal in bringing the Oklahoma program back. Yes, yes, he was. And it's and it'll be cool to see Blake Griffin get drafted very high, likely number one, and hopefully, yep. hopefully he, you know, hopefully they do do some kind of tribute to Wayman Tisdale. That'd be pretty cool. For sure, and yeah. you know that he wore Tisdale's number at Oklahoma, and he actually asked. Tisdale, if that was okay, and Tisdale gave him his permission back, you know, when he was right. the first year at Oklahoma. So that was just a very cool thing. Um, again, real sad to lose Wayman Tisdale, but but we move on, unfortunately. You want to hear someone who who did a really bad Wayman Tisdale impersonation? Who tried? No. Who tried to to face? See, he made us all forget about this because he he started doing really well in the basketball court. But have you ever heard the Kobe single? K K O B E. Check this out. That's Tyra Banks. Cut that up a little bit. Oh my God. Yeah, this is fantastic. <laughs> All you need is a good beat, man. You can pay for a beat. I might flow to this. Yeah, go. What I live for? Basketball, beats and broads from Italy to the Beats and broads. I'm in search for the one that make my wealth feel poor. Who can ignore the spotlight life for grandma? My dumb fault. Have I found the oars? Should I search for All right, you got to turn this off before I, I throw my computer out the but window. It, it, it's one of those tracks that's so bad that it's good. Right, it's right. Like, I can't, it's kind of like that Asher Roth guy you always try to play for me. I know. I'm having a hard time turning this turning this all the way down on the slider here on the board. <laughs> it won't go, right? It won't go. The, the rhythm is keeping it up. It's yeah. It's almost like when Pink comes on and I can't get my finger to move it off of the iPod. You know, it's like, oh my god. But check this out. Let's listen to one more verse. Come on, Glenn. One more. Okay. It's so bad. I don't know that anyone wants to hear any more of this. I think everyone realizes how poor this is. All right, fine. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'll I just, listen I don't, to it. I'll think. listen to it on my own time because I haven't yet. Um, but anyway, <laughs> over and over. You were actually playing that off your iPod. People don't know that. They think it was some fancy computer board for yeah. radio. No, no, it was your iPod. The Fleischer Hip Hop Festival featuring Asher Roth and Kobe Bryant this summer coming to an amphitheater near you. Uh, we'll get to that and so much more. Uh, not sure what we're going to get to next, aside from a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, some guy named Bill Russell. Yeah. I don't know. Bill Russell's on the show next. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Scott Fleischer. He's Glenn Eunice, and we're on TalkZone.com. Downsizing takes a gamble with arts and science architecture, yet for a big win. I'm Sam Atwell with 
Mid Auto Minute. The Creston Reef brand travels in a new direction for its somewhat overlooked crossover offering. For 2010, the large wagon-esque looks of the Cadillac SRX has taken on more arts and science architecture of the stunning all-new CTS. From the egg front fascia so familiar with the latest Cadillac sedans, the all-new 2010 SRX evokes a true resemblance to its siblings. The roofline is more in line with its Lexus RX rival, and the C-pillar evokes a completely new angle unfamiliar with the outgoing model. Gone is the rear-wheel drive version, taking on Saab's upcoming 9.4X front-wheel or all-wheel drive undercarriage. A 260-horsepower 3.0-liter V6 starts off with one of the two powerhouses befitting this all-new Cadillac. The optional 2.8-liter turbocharged V6 receives 300-horsepower and 295-pound-feet of torque. This set-in-stone five-passenger edge crossover may be just what the coveted Cadillac name needs to intrigue Lexus buyers. I'm Sam Atwell, and that's your Auto Minute. We now return to On the Sidelines. I don't believe what I just saw. With Scott Fleischer. Welcome back to On the Sidelines. I'm Scott Fleischer with my co-host Glenn Eunice. Joining us today, NBA legend, Hall of Famer Bill Russell. Happy to have you here, Bill. And we're here to talk about your new book, Red and Me, about your relationship with Red Auerbach. And Red also had a special relationship with the Boston Celtics, more than just a coach. What did he mean to that organization? Uh, what did I think of the organization? Well, no, no. What, what does Red mean to, to that to the, the Boston Celtic organization? Well, you know, almost all their success goes back to Red Auerbach. Almost all of their success, it, uh, because um, he and Walter Brown got together. And uh, first thing they did was make it a very class organization. For example, when I was in college, and uh, the Celtics got the draft rights and drafted me, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a guy named Don Barksdale that had played for the Celtics who lived in Oakland, my hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, really called and asked him about how good a player I was as a and uh, Don, uh, after they drafted me, he called me up and said, you will not find, you're, you're really lucky because that's the finest organization in professional sports. And that basically goes to our back and uh, Walter Brown, maybe all Walter Brown first and then whatever. But those guys made that a classy organization. And uh, uh, so they were really Good people, and uh, so when I got there, I was um, full of myself. You might call it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you you backed it up. You backed it up. Two national championships (laughs) will do that for you at San Francisco. Well, when I got there, uh, I was as I said in the book, I was all grown up, and I was thoroughly convinced that I had not encountered a better player than myself. (laughs) (laughs) Nor had I witnessed a better player than myself. So when I got there, uh, I was expecting the same kind of relationship I had with my college coach, which was not a very good relationship. But I had played under those conditions and been very successful playing those conditions because I always went my own way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. I get there, and uh, and uh, Red uh, watches me play. And um, 
And I'll tell you about, uh, in the book, if you had a chance to look at it, there's an incident where I got I didn't get in the huddle. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, um, Rich says, why don't you in the huddle? I said, I don't need to be in that huddle. If, uh, I play center and everybody else plays center, well, why do I need to be in the huddle? All I need to be in the, all I need to do is know how to stay out of the way. <laughs> and I said that now. When you consider the circumstances, first of all, in those days, rookies were ill-treated, to say the least. And uh, and Red particularly had no very little use for rookies because they make rookie mistakes, and that costs you games. So here's this rookie, been here three weeks, and uh, already he's uh, defiant. And uh, Red would have been perfectly justified if he said, get off the bench and go get dressed. I'm the coach here. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And he would have been perfectly justified. Uh-huh. And I would have had the reputation of being a malcontent or <laughs> or trouble. Uh-huh. Big shot, some big shot uh, rookie. Yeah. And he said, okay, nobody else plays center. <laughs> because for years they had... Uh, uh, been uh, operating without a, a dominant force in the middle, mm-hmm. and uh, and here they're acting like they still don't have a dominant force in the middle without finding out. And he did, was determined to find out if he had a dominant force in the middle. So when we got on that trip, he put in a play specifically for me. Now this may sound strange, but my three years in college. There was not a single play for me. Wow. Really? How about that? How about that? That, wow. You understand what I mean? And so what I had, uh, as we said, survived and prospered under those conditions. So imagine if someone was drawing plays up for you and and allowing you to thrive. Yes. And so he he comes back and he puts in a play specifically for me. And? That's the first time since uh, high school. Mm Mm-hmm. And so... uh, and when he put the play in, he didn't just say, this is the play. We were on the floor and walked through the play, and he asked me, is there anything that I wanted in the play that he didn't have in the play? Wow. wow. Now, that's a recognition of your talent, most likely. You know, likely and that's pro- probably what made Red such a good coach, one of the many reasons. Yeah, and so uh, all the things he did, but not just with me, he consulted the team. He used to always say, I don't know everything. And so you guys may know something, some things that you see on the floor that I can't see from the bench. Tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. You it's know. something not a lot of egotistical coaches do these days, asking their players, uh, basically as a team, coach and player alike, as opposed to just uh, dictatorship. Right. And so, yeah. um, because he used, to always, he used to always say, I don't know everything. And so... Um, Ironically, though, you went in there thinking you knew everything, right? Well, I knew everything about the center position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say you came in with, with this attitude because I was wondering if Red, you guys became so close. Did Red have the same kind of personality, him growing up as the son of two Jewish immigrants and then your background, too? And did, did your backgrounds kind of mesh together to form this kind of odd couple relationship? Well, uh, 
in a in a uh, kind of way in that uh, I learned how to cope from from my family, mm-hmm. and I and I know he learned how to cope from his family, and so that uh, we both knew basically what we were doing and how to handle situations, and um, and so. Uh, like uh, in the book, I say that one of the writers in Boston came up to him and said, uh, "You insulted everybody by not being in, uh, not in drafting cruising when Alec when he's a student in college, and we don't like Jews anyway." And so I said, "How'd you handle that?" He says, oh, "Just I knew the best." It. So. <laughs> it's. That's great. That's it's great, but that's how you 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 know your personalities obviously meshed well. You're both super driven, and that that's an understatement. Well, we both realized that uh, we were not going to get current acclaim, is what mm-hmm. I call it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but if we were to win all the games after our careers are over. And they start years later when everybody started evaluating who's the best this and who's the best that. We don't have to get involved in that. Uh, all we'll say is we want more championships than anybody, and that's what theoretically that's what their teams are supposed to be playing for championships. That's and the goal, done, and we've done that better than anybody. And so uh, we don't care who the best player is. Uh, all we care is that. Every now and then we'll go to our trophy case and count rings and stuff. <laughs> well, along those lines, we're talking with the winningest player of all time by many people's accounts, Bill Russell, author of Red and Me. It's a book that he's written regarding his former head coach, Red Auerbach. Bill, along those same lines, is being a winner, in your opinion, something that's inborn, something that's learned, or a combo of, of such? Because we all know Red Auerbach was known for his character and building others' character around him. Well, I, I think a lot of it is learned, but first you have to be ambitious. Uh, when I was in high school and playing in the, in the playgrounds and stuff, we were always trying to find better competition. In fact, when I was a freshman in college, we used to get in the car on Friday afternoon and drive to Los Angeles. And this is before the interstate, Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was a 13, 14-hour trip. And we would go and park the car in front of the premier uh, gym, gym or playground, sleep in the car to, to the basketball bounce and woke us up. And we'd play all day Saturday. Uh, half a day Sunday, then get in the car and drive back. To, so we'd be in school Monday morning. Wow. <laughs> because we heard there were some good players in Los Angeles, and and we were always looking for to measure ourselves against the best players that we could find. Any players of note there, Bill, that we'd hear of? Well, in New York, there was Willie Knowles, and uh, he played down there, and there were some good players, Billy McGill, and th- mm. there were some players that played in the NBA. Uh but at the time, we were just looking for comp- all the competition we could find. Wow, that's, that's a great story, Bill. 
Great story. Bill Russell joining us tonight. Talking about his new book, Red and Me, out on HarperCollins now. Of course, he wrote that with Alan Steinberg, Bill, NBA legend. And we're talking about Red Auerbach, the subject of the book. And we talked a little bit about how much he meant to the organization. And one other question I had, he was more than just a head coach because he was also kind of a businessman, right? I mean, he he really loved that organization and would market it and do everything for it, right? Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, well, he's dedicated to the organization because that organization had been dedicated to him for many years. Walter, Walter Brown, like I said uh, in the book, uh, enabled Red to relax and do what he would thought was best for the organization. And, uh, and he did that. Uh, and uh, I, I want to tell you a funny story. If you want, got a minute. Well, we got Bill. Yeah, we got we got several minutes. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> All the time. When I retired from the Celtics, I moved to Los Angeles, and I was a season ticket holder at the Lakers. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so they had a, a ceremony for Jerry West. Okay. So I, I went to it. They asked me to come to it, and I, I love Jerry West, so I go to it. And uh, I'm sitting next to the owner, uh, Jack Ken Cook, at the time. So I uh, I have a good time, and a few days later, I get a call from Jack Ken Cook. Is he going to bring you as a wideout for the Redskins? <laughs> uh, uh, I want you to come out of retirement and, and sign with the Lakers. Okay. Now, at the time, the center for the Lakers was a guy named Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> uh, okay? Okay. Yeah, we, 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 I think I've heard of him. Okay, so he says, I want you to come out of retirement and play for the Lakers. I said, excuse me, but aren't you paying Wilt Chamberlain an awful lot of money to be a backup center? Because <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were starting. <laughs> he didn't think I was all that funny, but I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to bring me out of retirement, I'm starting. You know, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, okay, decide. I said, uh, I'm not going to play anymore. But if I would have changed my mind, yeah, I would only play for the Celtics. Okay. I would never play for anybody else. Well, then, so what did you think of Michael coming back with the Wizards? Uh, that's Michael, and that's his career. Okay, okay. Well, so for Bill Russell, he was only going to play for the Celtics. You know what? I like that. I think that's admirable because of what the Celtics did for you, what Auerbach did for you, and what they did for him, and vice versa. Um, we're talking with Bill Russell here, author of Red and Me, the book about Red Auerbach. Bill, quick question. Of the many things that Red taught you, and probably you taught him, what was the most that stood out from him to you? Well, you know, the fact is that, uh, first of all, Red never tried to teach me anything. You have to understand that. In fact, uh, most of our conversations were two-way conversations. Learn together. Yeah, because he said to me when I was a rookie, he says, you're the best player playing, but I have to confess, I don't know what you're doing, so I can't help you. <laughs> and uh, he said, what I will do is I'll watch you play and see the things you do, and as soon as I figure out how I can do it, I will make them part of our system. What you, what you do, make that part of the system. So the way we play will reflect on your different uh, attributes. So that uh, uh, he 
also knew that uh, the the man on the planet that I respected the most was my own father. So he never got anything like he's going to be a father figure or, or teach me anything because that was not, you couldn't apply that to this situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the book I described uh, our relationship as co-workers. Yeah. Uh, two guys working for the same organization with the same agenda. And, uh, to win. Right. And, uh, and also, not just to win, but to bring honor to our organization. That's really the kind of relationship that should exist in any workplace, right? Yes, I, mm-hmm. I think that uh, a, a very successful yeah. organization is is that, like, um, we work for the same unit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have different uh, assignments. Right. But that doesn't make one person superior to the other person. Yep. It just makes our jobs different. Yeah. Amazing how Red was able to get the most out of you, and you to obviously, you know, catapult Red to the top of his game. And so we can well, you know, yeah, uh, go ahead. In our, our years together, we always figured that we were both even. We were always even. What, what I did for them and what they did for me, we were always even. And so uh, that was part of the relationship is that uh, – we could uh, we work together, and that's what happened. We work together. Yeah. You know? And uh, mutual respect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The way it should be. Bill, it, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Speaking tonight with Bill Russell, the author of Red and Me, and a lot of our conversation has been about the life of Red Auerbach, and you've recalled your stories about Red, and it's it's recalled in the book Red and Me out on Harper Collins now. And uh, you had talked earlier about. When you came to Boston and he had drawn up plays for you, and it was the first time that plays had been drawn up for you since high school. And just the other night, Dwight Howard had some post-game comments regarding plays being drawn up for him. And he says, offensively, I have to get the ball. I don't think you're going to win a lot of games when your post player only gets 10 shots. We have to do a better job than that. You've got a dominant player. Let him be dominant. Your thoughts on, on those quotes from Dwight Howard? Well, I just, I, I heard he said something. I didn't know what the quotes were. Yeah. But, um, Red's approach always was, does it make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's I, I, always governed by. And I think getting Dwight Howard the ball. If, uh, if, if, if there's nobody can guard him, why not? Right. And, uh, if, if nobody got him, what happens is is that they have to double team and triple team him. That means that somebody else is wide open, and so that that means if he gets the ball, he didn't. Uh, if he can counter times he got it, that's not a good thing. Well, what he does with it when he after he gets it, mm-hmm. okay, because uh, if they double team and triple team, somebody's open. And so sometimes he can beat the double team. That's a matter of timing. Uh, but you have to, uh, I have to admit that even at this age, I always take the player's side. Okay. <laughs> that's, no, that's interesting. Well, and, and obviously you would consider Dwight Howard one of the elite centers in the league, and you think that he has a right to get the ball or at least have the plays drawn up for him, and he's not, I, I don't, is he talking out of turn? 
before you before you get off into that, yeah, you have to do a better job for me mm-hmm. of assessing the situation as it is. Okay. Now, basically, uh, basically, yeah. Dwight Howard wants the example. offense to run through him. You got that example. I don't necessarily. I don't know what they do in practice. Maybe the right. offense is not set up to go through mm. to him because maybe he's just this year the first year he's come forward to be a dominant center. And see, if he was not a dominant center last year, uh, then it would make sense not to have a place to him. So now, have they evolved to the place where they that would be best for them? I don't know yet. I, you have to go to you have to watch the practice uh-huh. and and see what the other guys do. So it's a learning process for him. Not, it's not cut and dry that one size fits all. Yeah. So it's it's a learning process for him as well. He's just kind of voicing his frustration. You're saying basically. And, okay. and and it's a, you know he's still a young player. And the other thing is, like I when I talk to young centers, mm-hmm. I tell them one of the first things that they have to learn to be effective is make themselves an easy target for the guys to get the ball to them. Yeah, and that, that requires guys, body movement and positioning and leverage. Yes, well, that, like those guards, the little people. <laughs> well, they're not all that anxious to give the ball to the big guys anyway. <laughs> yeah. So you eliminate the excuses for it, not getting you the ball, by making yourself a great target. And that's one of the, the things that the, the big guys on baseline have to learn, is how to make themselves an easy target so that the guy doesn't have a lot of turnovers trying to get the ball to you, then he can have an excuse not to give you the ball. So there are a lot of things involved in that uh and and uh, I know that I would never make a judgment on either the coach or the player until I had more information. Fair enough. Last few minutes here with Hall of Famer Bill Russell, author of Red and Me, a book he's written about former Celtics great head coach Red Auerbach. Bill, there's probably 45 questions I want to get to you, so I'm going to try to cram in two. You're talking about little guys, so I want you to touch on Chauncey Billups and the winner that he is with the Colorado, uh, with the Denver Nuggets, I should say, out in Colorado now. But But I want you to speak, if you would, just briefly about your reconnection with the media and how your family played a large part in bringing you back to basically everyone here in the world that can that can enjoy Bill Russell. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, uh, one time I made this public appearance in Boston was because uh, I feel strongly about uh certain charities. And I don't call it a charity, but I call it uh, part of my last work. Is uh, I'm on the board of a program called Mentor. And we try to get people to mentor young folks one-to-one. One mentor, one mentee. Last year, we passed three million volunteers. But our ambition is to pass 18 million volunteers. How about that? Uh, that uh, this generation to connect and help in real ways the young folks uh, uh, and getting started in their uh, lives so they can be contributors to the society. And uh, that time I made an appearance in Boston, it was actually a fundraiser for my charity. And... Uh, uh, you know, I played 
before the big money, okay? Right. So I'm not a zillionaire, but uh, I have this motto from a poem I learned in high school. It is not what we give, but what we share. For the gift without the giver is bare. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Give that to us again one more time, Bill. What's that? Give that to us again one more time. I want to hear that again. It is not what we give, but what we share. For the gift without the giver is bare. Mm-hmm. And um, so I try to do everything I can to help kids. And the only requirement they have for me to try to help is that they be kids. And so uh, our organization is in every kind of community there is. Are we still there? Oh, yeah, we're here, Bill. Yeah, we're just taking it all in. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that was what I came out, uh, in other words, to try. Uh, it was a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. For the Miss Organization, for the Boston chapter. Uh, but I, I live a, I think, a really happy life. Yeah. It's, I, I keep it small. Mm-hmm. But the reason I keep it small is it's less complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you, you say that it's important for you to share and give, and you've shared plenty of stories. In your new book, Red and May, we're speaking with NBA legend Bill Russell. And one question to wrap it up, Bill, i got to ask you this. Red Auerbach comes back today, and he's, he's, he's got the top pick in the draft, and he's got, he's got you, Chamberlain, Shaq, and Dwight Howard all on the board. How does, he choo- how does he choose Bill Russell? Why? It's simple. All right. Uh, uh, Johnny Wooden. Uh-huh. Coach Johnny Wooden of UCLA said... Bill Russell is the most important player to ever play basketball, college or pro. Okay? Okay. And that's well, it. That about sums it up. That about sums it up. It's interesting. I asked somebody else. I asked a friend, you know, that, that, that question. Somebody said, it's easy. He's a champion. So, Bill Russell. He's a winner. Hall of Famer. Bill, it's been a pleasure to have you on tonight. Thank you. Yes. And, and we wish for the best with the book, Bill Russell with Alan Steinberg, Red and Me, available now on HarperCollins. And we hope to speak to you again down the line. Take care. Okay, thanks, Bill. Take care. Bill, thank you very much. Look for the bare necessities. The bare necessities of healthy living are easier than you think. You better believe it. And the food pyramid shows you the way. With just the right amount of exercise and the necessary grains, vegetables, fruits, milk, and meats and beans. Just the bare necessities of life. So eat right, be active, and have fun. Yeah, man. For your own path to a healthier you, visit MyPyramid.gov. This is really living. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Ag Council. This is On the Sidelines. On TalkZone.com. Welcome back to the show, On the Sidelines. I'm Scott Fleischer with my co-host, Glenn Eunice. You heard from Hall of Famer Bill Russell there talking about his new book, Red and Me, out now. That was great. That was fantastic, talking to a Hall of Famer. Glenn, when this show does go big time, because as everybody knows, it's me, you, a mixing board. I'm in the big, I'm in the big boy studio. You're in the bedroom studio. Home office. Yeah. The, oh, I'm sorry. The home office, better termed as the home office. And uh, 
when it does go big time, I feel bad for the producer that we get of this show. You are so he. If, if you knew how hard Glenn was on me, okay. There's just, nothing that I let go to chance. Nothing, nothing. So Glenn is very, very hard on me. He freaks out. He's like, make sure my my mic is up. Make sure I'm not muted. Make sure this that. Make sure I have my make sure Listen. I have my hot tea in front of me. And I'm like, Glenn, I'm in Chicago and you're in Washington. I can't make sure that your hot tea is sitting there with your quarter pounder with cheese. It's not my no, no, problem. No. I had a tuna salad with uh, fat-free ranch dressing today. Don't even try that. And the home office got a new addition today. Yeah? I got a new bed. Uh, I, have been in dra- I had a king-size bed. It was a few years old. It was in need of a replacement. And I bit the bullet over the weekend. It was delivered today. Magnifique. All right, before we get to the water cooler story, which you, which you teased last time, and I want to talk about that, yes. I saw Big Jim's email that just came across, and I w- it basically concedes er, that I was right with the Bill yeah, Ripken Cooperate your story. Yeah, That's thank, Bill Ripken, in fact, wrote on his bat. Yes, Bill Ripken wrote on the bat, and he did it to separate his from the other ones in the bat rack. The one, the one part of the story that we still don't know is whether or not he knew it was baseball card day. And we'll, we will add, we will ask Billy at some point. So you, why don't you ask Billy this week sometime? Uh, you know, I'll talk to him on Thursday and Friday, so maybe I will ask him. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, you got this water cooler story. You you really wanted to talk about this last time, and it is it is a it's a, kind it's of silly. A, it's a silly one. Uh, so let's get it out there. Okay. A buddy of mine, just to recap, works for a large public sector type company, and one day he tells me that he has to handle all the cash for the water club. So I begs the question, what's the water club? Well, he sent me an email, so I'm going to read you what the email is and, and take out certain things because we're not supposed to say where he works. But the water club started back in 1986 when this certain division moved to new offices in the water coming out of the faucet was deemed undrinkable by health standards. My boss, meaning his boss, uh, took over as president of the club in the early 90s and recently passed it off to me back in June 2008. I'm reading as as my buddy. He charged $5 every month, six, uh, excuse me, $5 every six weeks to those wanting water. I charge $20 and collect only once every four to five months. The $20 goes for water and cooler rental. It's unlimited water. The delivery man comes once a month to stock up, and I keep a spreadsheet of who has paid and who hasn't paid. Once the amount of money is I have has approached the amount of money I've collected, and foreseeing the next payment, he collects more money. Uh, he goes on to say, I send out notice again to collect. It takes some people within minutes Others weeks, they're the usual suspects. Some want out, others want back in the next time around. Listen, this is the best part, okay? okay? Occasionally occasionally I see a few quarters on top of the water cooler for those who are not in the club and still drink. Those people are his enemy because they don't pay for the free water. The last caveat, there's one section that really keeps a tab on their water consumption. They have a spreadsheet above the water cooler where members must place a tick mark for every eight ounces of water they consume (laughs) they even have a measuring cup the president of that particular section at the end of every month or so then tallies up the tick marks and prorates what they charged based on the amount of water they consumed during that period how absurd is that wow that's uh that's ridiculous that's crazy and, and I think everyone knows the innuendo when I'm saying a large public sector here in, in, in D.C. So that's what they're spending their time on is the water consumption club in uh, the large public sector in the nation's capital. So they are they are chasing waterfalls. <laughs> is that what this was? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that? That they have a they have a measuring cup and they measure eight ounces of water per consumption. Wait, wait, make- Glenn, wait for it. Please stick to the rim.
I know that it's no, I cannot believe wait on nothing <laughs> at all. But I think you're moving too fast. Don't think I don't know about this. <laughs> I can't believe that they that they do that with their time. That's incredible. Eight ounces. They well, ke- they keep track of I, eight ounces. They have a measuring cup for crying out loud. So, wow. When did when did I want to know? Do they tell you about that on your first day there? I'm guessing. Right? Do they like, hey, I um, mean, yeah. here's your cubicle, and right. the IT guys down the hall. If you need any computer printer problems, listen, stationery's over here. We keep pens and staplers, and um, oh yeah, we're gonna need seventeen dollars and forty seven cents for the next six and a half weeks for your water consumption. If you go over the twenty three and a half ounces per week, we're gonna need to charge you. That's thirty six and a half cents. We round up here. So you're gonna need to leave 37 cents okay. in a cup on top of the water. I mean, really? Where does? But there's there's other uses for water throughout the day. For example, your coffee, coffee your tea. Right. right. Where does? So does that? Is that included? I, uh, I you, you know, know, I guess they're in the all inclusive deal where it's the 20 bucks every six weeks, and they don't worry about it. The one section apparently has their system, which I would. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd go in there. I'd change it. I'd. I want to spend the money on some soda. You know, what I, mean? I want to spend. You the know money. what I want to do? What? I want to go in there and tip over all the water jugs. That's pretty funny, actually. That'd be really, no, that'd be hilarious. Go in there and tip over all the water jugs and, and be then, like, and, le- and drop like, make it rain in there. Drop like one hundred one dollar bills in there, just like Pac-Man Jones, make it rain <laughs> and bounce. You know, pretend like I'm going to see my buddy under the guise of like, hey, it's lunch. You know, I'll come in and check your office out. Knock over everything, make it rain and roll out. Roll in there in a ninja outfit, be a water ninja. <laughs> just start kicking stuff over, start kicking over the water bottles. Right, you know, and roll and, out like Terry yeah, take the office. That's right. Sure. Oh my gosh, that would be. Terry Tate rolls through there and just knocks over the water jugs. That'd be fantastic. (laughs) Getting back to sports real quick. We just had a big-time champion on the air, Bill Russell. And I did want to talk about something regarding Bill Russell, who's one of the most decorated athletes of all time. Manchester United wins a Premier League title for the third consecutive year, I believe. 22 titles since 1986 for Manchester United. Glenn, is Manchester United the best sports franchise in the world? Uh, if they're not, they're way up there. Yeah. They're way up there. I believe, doesn't Malcolm Glazer own them, the guy who owns the Bucks and the Lightning? Something like that, yeah. I they're, believe they're... Malcolm Glazer owns the, um, owns Man U. But they're, they're, I mean, look, they, they, soccer's a little bit different, and I don't know if people know real quick. It's not, there's not really a salary cap. The way players get traded back and forth, it's on loan, and, and they're able to pay them absorbent amounts of money, um, you can you can almost buy a championship. Yeah, but you can do that. You, you, the Florida Marlins did that. You can do that in other sports. You can do that in other sports. Well, so. what the Marlins do is is actually different. They cultivate talent. They they build up and then they unload to dump salary and build back up again through their farm system. Yeah. Manchester United would be sort of like that, and they're 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 a combo of of the Marlins and the Yankees, really, or the Redskins, because they want to buy talent. They do buy talent. Soccer's a bit different, though. I think it's similar to. Hockey, where you can get those guys to mesh a lot quicker. Um, it's more of a not, not that all sports aren't a team sport, but it's it's much more of a team sport in the fact that even superstars can buy in, play their role, and win championships in soccer. It's a bit different than baseball. They are the best sports franchise in the world, though. They are okay. Yeah, uh, no argument. I, no argument. No, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I, I think that and I, I want to talk more about that, but we're running out of time. Maybe we'll get well, to we'll it. Touch next on week. that next time. Maybe we'll best, take some emails. Best individual playoff performer, Bill Russell, was a hell of a postseason playoff performer this week. Cam Ward playing for the Carolina Hurricanes. He oh, has never wow. lost. 
a postseason series. Granted, it was one Stanley Cup run, but then, of course, he, he's played great so far this year as well. Who's your one guy who's the most clutch postseason performer? Just off the top of my head, some guys, obviously, Russell, Jordan, Aikman was good. Rocket Richard is ridiculous if you look at the stats from that, what this guy did. Mark Messier is Reggie Jackson, a little overrated. Joe Montana was very good. Yep. Your thoughts? Your thoughts? Well, I'll tell you, you know, it, it's stupid and it was a one-time shot, but what John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Bucks did to win the Super Bowl, man, they just ran through San Francisco and so, then in Philadelphia and then they ran all over Bill Callahan and the Raiders in the Super Bowl. Um, it's, it's a one-shot deal. And, and listen, I'm going to go back to the well here. Wait, I are love Salty taking... Phillips. Okay. Oh, great call. Fantastic call. Seven, oh my gosh. Fantastic call. The guy has row. been seven consecutive. I mean, that, that's my well. I mean, I, Chauncey Billups. No, he's... There's no one who's going to speak more highly of Chauncey Billups than myself. Chauncey Billups has been incredible. He's been incredible. This postseason is going to be a great series between the Nuggets and Lakers. I'm really excited to see how the Nuggets are playing. By the way, Joe Dumars can't watch any of it watching Billups. So he traded away. Real and... quick. Clippers, Grizzlies, Thunder. First three picks in the NBA lottery just came out. Oh, thanks for the update there. I wish I had the breaking news sounder. He's Glenn, I'm Scott, we'll talk to you next week, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern.